Perimeter Church podcast. Before ISIS came along and began YouTubing their atrocities, it was easy for us in the West to think of martyrdom as something part of a bygone era. But for Eastern Christianity, their history is marked with periods of persecution and martyrdom that groups like ISIS have now taken to the next level. Would you stand? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Stand, with this message entitled, Holding Firm Your Convictions, which covers Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and let's prepare for the teaching of God's word. Father in heaven, we ask now, would you, would you truly be among us? Even as we have sung, Holy Spirit, come. And in doing so, would you speak to our hearts? Again, in our minds, giving us the truth. Let us have hearts that embrace the truth. We're thankful for this story of Daniel. And we want to make our stand. We pray you would use this next few minutes together to enable us to stand all the stronger with deeper convictions than ever. Be with our friends here that are outside the faith of a relationship with you as of right now. and Pray they may find a love relationship that will change them forever. Grateful for this time, Father. Bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I do not remember how many, but a number of years ago, I was preparing an officer's exam because the officers train for 10 weeks, go through a lot of study, 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 and then they have a written before their oral exam. This was the written exam, and I figured, well, I'd come up with 50 questions, two points each, 100 points. Everybody could see how they're doing and easy to grade, but I came up with 49 questions that seemed very important. I could not come up with a 50th. I'm sat there and I kept thinking, what would be another question, another question? I couldn't think of an important one. So I thought, well, I'll just have some fun, let them all get a laugh. So I just, number 50, wrote the question, are you willing to be martyred for your faith? Now, I just assumed they would look at that and go, yeah, that's funny, of course, you know, yeah, yeah, no. Uh-uh, let me tell you. Great consternation for many, many of these folks. I saw confessions that I'm not sure, withdrawals from office. I will not take the office because I'm not sure that I could do that. And there are these conditions. And I mean, there was just heart-wrenching agony that went into that final question. Well, let me ask you, how would you answer that question? How would you answer it? And don't we just, I mean, respect to the ultimate, the people that we read of who are martyrs? Who are willing to take whatever. Beat me. Kill me any way you want to, but I'm standing. I'm standing strong on the conviction of my faith. I was a young Christian. I was in college and somebody recommended a book for me to read. It was a story of something that had taken place just a a decade or so before. It was the death of a a young missionary who was trying to reach a people called the Alka Indians in South America. They were 
some of the last of the true cannibal tribe. The story of a man named Jim Elliott and several others that were with him. But this story told Jim's story, and here he was, such a bright, handsome, athletic, intelligent. I mean, he had it all, and his peers heard what he was doing with his life, that he was about to go try to reach these people called the Alcas. Who are they? Where are they? Why would you do that? And then they found out that there was a high potential of losing his life among the others in trying to do what they were trying to do. And so then people began to beg him, say, don't do it. Don't do it. You've got too good a life here. And his great response that marked me forever, his response, a man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that a great statement? And I'd read his story, and I've read it several times, and it just grips me. I say, man, don't we just love to see people who are willing to stand and hold their convictions? Well, I think many of us, probably most of us, are familiar with the story in today's text in the book of Daniel. It's chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. But in chapter 3 of Daniel, this is the story where Daniel's three peers with their new names now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And as they're grabbed and said, either you bow to a statue that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had constructed, unless you bow, you're going to be thrown into the fire and your life will be extinguished just like that. Well, they weren't convinced that they would die, even if they threw them into the furnace, apparently, from the text. But their response was, but even if we do, we stand on our conviction, we will not bow to that statue. Now, some of you are new among us and have not been here in the past weeks to study the first few chapters. I would encourage you to go online and, and just listen to it and, and kind of catch up if you, if you have the time to do that. But I'll tell you just very, very quickly the story so you can understand. There are two, what I'm going to call cities, and these two, one is called Babylon, and it is the people of Babylon. There's a city Babylon within the country of Babylon, and it is a prototype of the kingdom of this world. And it is in contrast to a second kingdom, a city called Zion, or Jerusalem. And throughout the Bible, those two names are used to represent that prototype of kingdom, the kingdom without God and the kingdom with God. King Nebuchadnezzar, taking the people of the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, into captivity. As they come into captivity, they take just the best of the best, and that includes Daniel and his three friends. They're groomed to be the future, the great leaders of that land. They're given the best and they're all in preparation to be what's called wise men. And then Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. We studied the dream last week. The dream, he, he didn't know what it was or anything about it. So he called his magicians and his sorcerers and all the best of the interpreters and said, hey, tell me what, what does my dream mean? In fact, if you can tell me the meaning of my dream, I'll give you much of my kingdom. But if you can't tell me the dream, you die. Well, that included the four Jewish people. 
Well, as it turned out, he made a requirement that they tell not only what the dream means, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me what my dream was. And all the rest said, oh, that can't be done. And Daniel says, oh, yes, it can. God can tell. And so God gives him the interpretation of the dream, the dream and the interpretation, and he tells it to Nebuchadnezzar, and it impacts Nebuchadnezzar in a big way. And the story of the dream was simply this, that there was a a statue in his dream, and it had multiple parts to it, beginning with the head of gold and working down with four different kingdoms that that, uh, would be there making up this statue. And, And so Daniel just said, hey, the the head is, is Babylon to you, Nebuchadnezzar, of gold. But there's another kingdom coming after you, and then there's another and another and another. And so it goes down to the very toes, the feet and the toes of the statue, and explains it all. But then he ends and says, but here's what you need to know. There's a rock, and this rock is going to crush this statue beginning at the feet, and it'll pulverize the entire, I mean the entire statue, and everything will be blown away. And that rock will become a mountain and it will fill the entire earth. And that was the interpretation. Now we come to chapter 3. So again, if you have your Bibles, if not, read the screens. But I have to say, I'm not going to be able to read this much. It's just too much to read to you. So I'm going to read little pieces of it. I'm going to tell the story beyond. I'm going to go as quickly as I can to get through the story so you can see it. And then we can get to some truths that I think are quite transforming. All right? Are you ready? All right. Let's look at the story itself. Story has six episodes. The first, I'm going to entitle that Nebuchadnezzar's Golden Image. His Golden Image. Those are the first seven verses. And would you do this? Take your Bibles when you get home. If you don't have them with you now, I encourage you to bring them even week to week. But if you don't have them, go home and read the verses in full where there's more time. But in this particular portion of the text, it's going to describe this statue that Nebuchadnezzar is going to make. This is a second statue, not the one in his dream. This is a statue he actually makes. It is 90 feet tall. Can you imagine this? 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. It is all made of gold. Can you even imagine? Now we can... We can just imagine why he is building or has built this incredible image. What he's saying is this, I don't like that dream. And I don't like God of the Jews trying to put me out and put somebody else in. I want a statue that's all me, all gold. And so that's why he builds it. Of course, he's going to require that everybody bow before that statue. At the sound of music, everybody stops, everybody bows and worships the great image, really the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Let me ask you, do you and I not do the same thing? Do we not create our own images of of what family should be, of what life should be, what health should be. I'm going to say it over and over. I have prepared this series 
with my first and primary audience being our young people. Young people, this is going to be the challenge of life. We're going to dream our own dream and build our images. And we're going to have perfect this, and we're going to have a wonderful marriage. We're going to have this and that and other. It's going to all be great. And then God's plans are going to be different. And we're going to fight, and we're going to build our own image. And we're going to fight to get our image. The very same thing that's happening here with Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what's very interesting? When the, when the interpretation of the dream was made, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar seems like he comes around. In fact, look at chapter 2, verse 47. It goes like this. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods, and I'm emphasizing the word a to make my point, and a Lord of, of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. And I want to say to our young people, there are plenty of us here that are thinking right now, I think I am pretty good with God because I really, like Nebuchadnezzar, I acknowledge the reality of God. And I believe he is real and I affirm him in, in every way. I'm not denying who he is. Therefore, I must be okay with God. Please don't believe that. We're going to see Nebuchadnezzar make a huge step in this text where it sounds like now he's saying, okay, now I'm not just going to say he's a God of gods. He is the most high. He is the God. And we'll think then, maybe, maybe now he's really, come, we're going to find out he has not truly become a follower. He is going to become a follower. And we're going to get to about chapter 7 and we're going to see that he has to go through some incredible pain and heartache before finally he hits this depth where he does begin to worship God. I say all this to say, please be careful to examine your heart and find out, am I really in love with him? I remember my brother, I only had one sibling. He's now with the Lord. But he decided that he was going to go the kingdom of Babylon and he went all in. I was going the kingdom of God and so we were going further and further apart. Though we liked each other and so forth, we had two different lives. As adults, I could tell that every time I tried to witness to him or tried to help him understand or give him something to read, I could tell it was just a push off. I don't want that. So finally I said, look, his name was Barry. I said, Barry, you, uh, you don't want me to talk about God and my faith or anything like that, do you? He said, no, I don't. I said, I'll make a pledge to you. I will never again ever bring up the name of Jesus, God, religion, faith, anything. Unless you ask me to, I'll be your brother, not your preacher. And he thanked me. He said, I really appreciate that. I said, okay. Years had gone by. Many, many, many years. And he came to visit us at Christmas. And he came to this church. I think that may be the only time he ever, maybe he came in again sometime, I don't remember. But he came to this church and he sat back in the very back with my wife and, uh, and children. And he began to just bawl. He wept during the service, the Christmas Eve service. 
And afterwards, he came to me and he said, you know, maybe I should try church again. Maybe I should give it another shot. I said, well, I got a great church where you live. I could connect you. He said, I'd love to do that, and I did. And the assistant pastor of this church, a friend, a really new discipleship, like we talk of discipleship, a life-on-life type of discipleship. And I said, man, if you could engage my brother, and he did. And my brother jumped into it and began to be exposed to God's word and God's people, and, and his heart changed. And I talked to his pastor, and I said, I think I see fruit in his life. He says, I do too. Next step, he was to join the church, and he told me, he said, hey, I'm going to join the church. I said, you know, they'll examine you, and they'll ask you about your faith. What will you tell them? And he said, well, I would explain to them that, that I've, you know, I've been a Christian most of my life, you know, since a little kid. I've been a Christian. I just kind of walked away for a lot, and I'm coming back to my faith. I said, really, you think that's what happened? I said, let me tell you the story, and I happened to tell some of you know the story of my youngest son, David, and I told his story. He thought he was a Christian for years, and he wasn't, and I told how he, then he realized why he wasn't and so forth, and, boy, you could tell. He was like, hmm. So he joins the church, and afterwards I said, well, how did it go? And he said, good. He said, you know what I told him? I said, what? He said, I told him that I was engaged to God back when I was in high school. I got engaged to God, but I never married him. But you know what? I married him now, and I'm saved. Young people, make sure you know salvation is not a belief, acceptance of certain truths. It is a heart relationship where there is love evidenced by fruit, right? So we come to Daniel 3, 7. Let me just read that and we'll move to the next. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psalmetry, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every nation fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. So we come down to the second episode, and these are going to move very quickly. Let me just hurriedly go through these. Number two, the next one is uh, the charges that are, are brought against the three Jews, and uh, verses 8 through 12, I'll just read verse 8. Verse 8 leads this way. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans, now those are, are uh, astrologers uh, who were into uh, magic and all kind of different stuff, they came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Now, the, uh, the reality is these Chaldeans were probably jealous or resentful for some reason against these three. It's interesting to note that Daniel is not in the picture of this whole episode uh, he, the superior leader of all, uh, maybe he's away uh, doing some sort of, sort of business for the nation, who knows, but he's not in this episode, it's just the three. We come to verse 12, and verse 12 reads, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. So we see the charges are brought against the Jews. The next, we see the Jews' response in verse 13 through 18, their response to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is outraged by their response. And so uh, when they say, you know what, we're, uh, we're not going to bow. We really aren't going to bow. At that point, Nebuchadnezzar says, 
Is it true that you're not going to bow? He gives them a second chance. And then we read verses 15 through 18. And there they say, now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn and so forth, fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And listen to this. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? You can just see the arrogance that is there. You know, uh, let me read the, I'm going to read through 18 now. It's about to break there, but let me just read through. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But I love this 18 tagged on. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up. Makes it pretty clear, does he not? And I'd say this to you young people particularly. It's true of all of us, but young people hear this. Make up your mind now who you serve. Which city are you going to give your allegiance to? Because if there's a pause, if there's a need to pray about it, if there's a need to think through whether you're going to do what God says or what the world says, let me tell you, it's too late. You'll fail. That's why it's so important to come to resolve right now. Each morning, I pray a handful of resolves. I tell the Lord, I resolve this, and then I pray, I say, I resolve this, I resolve this, I resolve this. I put my resolves, and I say, God, every day it's the same resolves. I'm just going to keep telling you, I've got to make up my mind in the morning or I'll lose the battle in the afternoon. So important, young people. So important. The compromise will be so easy. Think about these guys, how easy it would be to say, well, you know, look how God has put us into a unique position. Look what the good that we've already done. Look at the influence we've brought for the true God. And for us to be annihilated is not going to help the cause at all. Maybe what we can do is just kind of get in the back row and, and just bow our head a little bit. Maybe they won't even know. Or maybe it's not even a real, I mean, there's no real God but the true God. And so what's the big deal? I mean, we're not, we're really bowing down to nothing. So it really doesn't matter. I mean, there's so many things that we can say in time of temptation unless we have that deep resolve that no, I stand. I stand. We come to the fourth episode. Three Jews are thrown into the furnace, 19 through 23. Won't read any of that, but Nebuchadnezzar is angry, of course. And there's an interesting verse in there. It says that he decided to heat the furnace seven times its normal heat. Do you find that just a little funny? I mean, you know, you'd be thinking, well, you know, the Jews, Jews God, it could be a one-heat God, you don't know. Let's go up to seven times. I don't know, what, what in the world, seven times? It's like it can deliver maybe from lesser heat, but not, no, no. For whatever reason, seven times. And so they throw him in, they throw the three, bound, their hands are bound, feet are bound. They throw them into the furnace and those who are executing this endeavor that are throwing them into the fire, they're consumed by the fire. It's that hot. 
So we come now to the fifth episode. And it's where the three Jews survived the fire, verses 24 through 27. Let me read 24 and 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, you know who this is, do you not? This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is, this is what we would call an anthropomorphism. Anthro, man, morph, change. It's where you're changing God in the likeness of man for a particular purpose. It's happened many times through the Old Testament. And now here is the Christ in their very presence. And as a result, if you look down at verse 26, you'll find out that he calls them servants of the Most High, making pretty good progress, it would appear, but he's not a real follower. Verse 27, we're told that their hair, their clothes, hair was not singed, their clothes were not burned, there was not even a smell of smoke. And with this, Nebuchadnezzar bows and says, wow, you guys are the real deal. Come to the last and final episode, 28 through 30, Nebuchadnezzar's response to the three Jews. And so it's uh, maybe best told just in verse 28, read that one verse. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Then what he does is he makes a decree and he says if anybody in any way defames the name of the king of the Jews, you will be torn from limb to limb and what you possess will be destroyed. And verse 30, if you have your Bibles, ends by the statement that then Nebuchadnezzar blessed the three of them. That ends the text. Now we want to find out what are we going to learn from this text? And, and, and what are the truths that enable us to take this truth of the story and make it important to you and me every day? I'm going to suggest three requirements for holding firm convictions. Young people, hear this very very carefully. Three things have to come together. Number one is the knowledge that God is sovereign. That's key. If you don't have the right view of God and see him as he is sovereign, then you're going to think that maybe, maybe the, maybe the statue, maybe Babylon really is in control. Young people know this. No, no, no. God is in control. He is in control all the time. Your life will feel like it's out of control. The world will appear out of control. It's not out of control. It's not out of God's control. He stands sovereign over everything. I won't read it, but chapter 3, verse 17. 
Go back and it says, God not, it's when they're about to be thrown in. It said, no, no, God did this, God will do this, God, and if not, God will do that. God's in charge. That's what they knew. They could go and stand before the fire and say, throw me in, because they're saying, this we know, whether we're spared or not, we know God is sovereign. It will turn out right. We believe that. Number one, have to believe God is sovereign. Taking the next hand, the truth, that there is the knowledge of God's word. You've got to have, and I have to have, a knowledge. What does God's word have to say? What does God believe about whatever it is in life? Okay, I did not make it into the fraternity or the sorority. I got put out. Well, what would God say about that? What if you're not popular? What if you don't make this or you're not accepted by? What does that really mean? I'd say to some of you young ladies, young girls, some of you that just are believing right now with everything in your heart that you're so ugly, that you're valueless because the people of Babylon have not applauded you, they've not embraced you, They've not said good things of you, and therefore you must not be very valuable. You certainly must not be pretty. And so many are saying, I'm ugly. And then we have to ask the question, what if the incarnate Christ in flesh were to come back right now? And we were to ask his opinion about that. You know good and well he's going to look at you and he's going to say, you are precious, you are beautiful, you count you're important, you're part of my kingdom, you will reign forever, that's what's true. And we're believing the lies. And it's like, well, I, I, I believe God's sovereign, but, but I'm believing, no, the two have to go together. I believe God is sovereign, and I'm embracing and thinking upon the truth of God. Put those two together and stir it up with surrender which is number three. It's just simply the point. Yieldedness to God's lordship. There's a surrender of heart. And when the surrender of heart takes place, then you're able to stand up. My story while in high school, I thank God that by God's goodness, when I was just in the ninth grade, that God took me out of a family that were not Christians in a church that was not preaching the gospel at all, and through other means gave me not only an understanding of the gospel, but an understanding of deep theology. They gave me an understanding of God's sovereignty. And I began to study it and get to know it and understand it. And I began to study the word, not because I was such a good kid. It's just God providentially put me into the right places at the right time with the right people. And God began to do a work in my heart. It could just easily happen with my brother instead of me or neither one of us or whatever. But for whatever the case, it was the case. And there I am now later in high school and I'm, I'm a senior and I'm dating this girl, just started dating this girl that uh, we both kind of liked each other, just kind of getting started in a, you know, a dating situation. And, and we decided to go on a double date with two of our friends. This fellow, the for sure most popular guy in our high school, the most popular. And dating a girl, very, very popular, both good friends. And we go together in the, in the car to a drive-in theater. And we're there, and 
We're in the back seat. They're in the front seat. So we don't have our car. We parked our car outside. And the movie starts. And I saw what was coming on this movie. And I went, oh, my goodness. I shouldn't be seeing this. This is not right for me. to. I don't need to be taking this in. And, and all of a sudden, I'm going, oh, my, what do I do? Let me tell you, the statue of, the statue of Babylon was screaming at me, bow, bow. If you get up, you know what's going to happen. If you leave, you know what's going to be said. You know how you're, and I'm just dying inside. But I knew, because I knew by God's grace, God's sovereignty, and got to listen to your conscience. You're hearing God as, you, as your conscience speaks. And, and I thought, unless it violates the word of God, and I knew, oh, my goodness, I have to get out of here. I remember I, I turned over to the girl I was dating. I said, we need to get out of here. She thought I needed to use the bathroom. You know, and I go, no, no, no. We got to leave this movie. Why? Because we don't need to be seeing this movie. And then I had to tell them. I said, I don't want to press this upon your conscience or saying you're doing something wrong. This is my conscience. It's not. I'm just saying I'm not supposed to be here. We're going to leave. And the most embarrassing, humiliating walk as I wove through cars with this girl with me, looking at me like I am one crazy man. I said it to young people to say, you can stand, but never forget what enables us to stand. Understanding of who God is and his sovereignty. Understanding that God speaks through the conscience and through his word. And then with the surrender, you do what God calls you to do. How many times have I not gotten out of that car, not literally, but have I said, I'll bow way too many times. I bow to this day, but I always regret it. And young people, you will too. Don't bow to anybody but the king of kings. Lastly, the last point, very brief, two assurances when unwilling to compromise convictions. One, the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ. Remember, there were four men. A vivid portrayal of the fact that God's, God stands with his people in time of trouble. So young people, when you're in the midst of the challenge, keep in mind, you're not there alone. He stands with you. Lastly, the fruit of prosperity. Verse 30. I find this intriguing. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. No, he didn't. The king of kings calls him to prosper. And he's the one that will cause us to prosper as well, young people. I conclude with the what, the why, and the how. Many of you have heard me do that. I don't always pronounce it in that way, but I'm always including it when I preach. What? I journaled the what of this text. See if you would agree. I said, let us stand with unbowed heads and rigid backbones before the golden statue of our godless humanistic culture. Let us shout that we are one determined to receive God's prize, which is far greater than the world's tinsel toys. And two, determined to be servants of him before whom every knee will bow. Believe it or not, most of the statues that you and I are facing and inappropriately worshiping 
we have created ourselves and we've created in our minds. Perfect school life, perfect family life, perfect health. And we got to crush those statues. We have to crush them. And here is the key. We can't crush them. Remember what crushed the statue? It was the rock. Who is the rock? The rock is Christ. We can't. He can. Why? Why would we crush these statues? Is it because we think God will love us more? No. He loves us because of the work of Jesus, what he did on the cross. That puts us in acceptance of him. That is not the reason we do it. Not in order that he loves us, but we do it because he loves us. That's why we keep going to the cross and looking and saying, what a great love that he has. Look what he's done for me. In light of that, we get motivated by the cross of Christ. Then the how. How are we going to crush? How are we going to do? How are we going to crush these statues of our hearts? I tell you, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the fact we sang the song we did. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a sense, I picture this, that in a sense, he gives us the rock and he allows us to throw it. We don't crush it. He crushes it, but he uses us. And how does he do that? Well, by appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. It's we acknowledge that we are in union with Christ and we surrender the members of our body, our whole body, our eyes, what we look at. Any of you struggling with pornography? You've got to have the power of God. You can't walk away from pornography. Not without power. Willpower is not going to work. We've got to have some kind of power. Where does it come from? It's God's power. You're giving bad reports. Keep saying things you shouldn't say because it just seems juicy. It tastes good. I got to say it. And then it's the power of God only that stops the mouth from speaking what it speaks. And the list just goes on and on and on. Go to the cross. Remember, it's his work, not our own. I'll tell you this. You put the what with the why with the how. Take the sovereignty of God, add to it the truth of God's word, and a surrender. You put those things in your mind and heart, and you'd be amazed how statues begin to crumble. One last word to young people. You win on your team. Don't ever forget that. You don't make the homecoming court, you're going to be in the king's court. There's always victory for God's people. Don't forget it as we pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the the truth of what we call the gospel or good news of what you've done for us. Thank you for giving us a Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the power that Christ indwells us, the rock. Thank you that we're a part of that kingdom and that that kingdom is going to fill the whole earth and will reign forever on this earth. I do pray now for some of our young people particularly that have some statues that are screaming, bow down, bow down. God, give them victory over the pressure that they experience. May they find power. May any here outside of Christ come to the cross right now and see it's what you do for us, not what we do for you. Grant that, we pray. And show us 
our idols. And Lord, would you crash them, crush them, pulverize them, get rid of them, we ask. And we thank you in the great and strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.